0: Good morning. Pastors asked me to read from James today. Um, my name is Bobby. I've been here for, I think, four years now. So love this congregation. I'm glad I have a chance to read. So we're reading in James 4, uh, verses 1 through 7. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Oops, sorry, I forgot to ask you guys to stand for reading God's word. I knew I'd make a mistake somewhere. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder, covet, and and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not ask me, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it in your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you know that friendship is, is the word of enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be afraid of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you.
1: Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you, Bobby, for reading that. Appreciate it. Very... Very thankful for. Definitely a lot of the leaders we have here, and Bobby's a good good example of that. And he and Jamie serving together. Jamie's in the nursery today, so but uh, that's that's a normal thing they serve and in many places, and so appreciate that very much. But one of the things as Bobby's reading out of James four, which you may have wondered, I thought we were in Ephesians. We are, and we'll get there. But James four definitely connects to what we're talking about today. But you might notice, and especially in the beginning. In verse 1, there's a lack of peace. There's fights, there's quarrels, there's not a lot of peace. And I think a lot of times people talk about peace, but then they don't act in a way that really reflects peace. And I think throughout history, we've got a lot of good examples of that. But I found one that goes back to the 80s. And it was in the Soviet Union on September 1st, 1983. There was a pilot by the name, I'm going to do my best to pronounce, pronounce this, it was Major Osipovich. I think I'm saying that right. But he was a pilot for the military, Soviet military. And he had been asked to speak at his daughter's school about peace. And so he said he would do that. But because of his patrol, he had volunteered to have night duty. And so September 1st, 1983, he was on night patrol going through the skies, uh, all with the intent of the next day he would be speaking to his daughter's school about peace. Well, during his patrol a Korean passenger jet came into Soviet airspace, 240 civilians. And so on his patrol, he was ordered to fire. He was ordered to fire at this Korean passenger jet. He complied with that order and killed 240 civilians. And in that moment, the the guy who was supposed to walk in the next day and talk about peace shot and set off what could have been catastrophic for the world. And I think if you know your history at all you know there was a lot of tension in the 80s. And thankfully it didn't come to be but oftentimes that's what happens is there's conversations about peace and it's anything but. And see there's an unseen daily battle that we are in that we are a part of. And there's an enemy whose desire is to take everything so that we have anything but peace. And to make sure there's no protection No peace, no protection in our lives. But see, when we understand the battle we're in, we understand the one who provides peace and protection. And that's the one we need to lean on. So as we will dig into these passages a little bit more, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I just thank you that you are good and faithful. I thank you that you are bigger than us. And Lord, oftentimes I think our view gets so narrow we walk by sight and not by faith. But we need some spiritual eyes, Lord, to see that there's a battle. There's a battle going on, and an enemy who just wants to take us down. An enemy wants to see us stuck in shame and doubt and fear. And Jesus, you bring peace. You protect our hearts and minds. And you've given us the tools to to wade into this war. But to know that there is peace and there is protection. And so I just pray that you would remind us of that today, Holy Spirit. Encourage our hearts. Pick us up and remind us of how big you are. And that really the battle is already won. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin in James chapter 4, there's definitely a connection that we'll make in just a moment to Ephesians 6. But uh, I want to give you a little bit of background about James so you kind of have a a context of what's happening in the book of James. But this is most likely James, the brother of Jesus. And he's writing to believers who are scattered. They're all over the place. I mean, even as you you read the Gospels, that night when they grabbed Jesus, when Judas betrayed him, and he had already told them, y'all are going to ditch me. And, of course, we know Peter's like, God, no, I'll be there. And we know he went on to deny Jesus. But, see, they have been scattered. But, see, I love how the fact that when the enemy thinks he's scattered followers of Jesus, that's really God's way of saying, I'm going to send my good news to the ends of the earth. But this is who James is writing to. But as he's writing, you can see in chapter 4 that they have a desire for things. They have things they want. And I think oftentimes, if if you've come to know Jesus, there is a wrestle within you because you have things you want, things you desire. And you read maybe a passage like Psalms 37, 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so you wrestle with this. But the question we need to ask is, do our desires line up with the desires of Jesus? Is our heart in tune with his heart? And I think you can see from what James was saying to this group, the answer would be no. You all have what you want, but you're not. Instead, loving each other, you're fighting, quarreling, and even going to the point of you seeking to destroy and murder each other. Because, see, what we often desire is not the things that God wants. We desire the things of the world. And, see, the enemy is good. He'll he'll put a bow on things and just make it look so pretty. Oh, man, you just need to live free. Forget all these rules. Forget what Scripture says. You know what? Your your sexuality and how you act and who you spend time with and relationships. Oh, none of it. You know what? You just need to live and enjoy. But see, we forget that. When God ever says don't, what he's saying is don't hurt yourself. Because I understand what's coming. But I love the fact that James doesn't hold back. In verse 4 of James 4, it says, You adulterers and adulteresses, I don't think we walk around talking to each other like that. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And see, part of what I love this verse is there's a point and a time we've got to make a decision. Which side are you going to be on? You see, too often it's almost like the Scarlett O'Hara idea of gone with the wind. I'm going to deal with that tomorrow. Her life is falling apart and she's going to deal with it tomorrow. You don't know tomorrow's coming. There's no guarantee. And so you've got to choose whose side you're going to be on. You're going to be on God's side or you're going to be on the enemy's side. Which side are you going to be on? Because when you are an enemy of God, there's no peace. You can put on the facade on the outside. Oh, man, I'm having fun. I'm partying. I'm just enjoying life. But inside, that's not how it's going to be. Because we are image bearers of God. Now, I tell you, you can do all sorts of things to numb that. Drugs, alcohol, you name it, you can do things to numb. See, we cannot run run from the fact that we bear the image of God. And it's intentional as God is working and the Holy Spirit's purpose is to convict and lead us back to Jesus. But unless we have Jesus, we have no peace. But see, that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants to live in doubt and shame and fear and worry. That's what he's after. See, that's why Paul has said what he has said to us. What we've been looking at the last several weeks in Ephesians 6, he said in verse 13, he says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Put this armor on. Put these tools on, these weapons. You need them. Why? So you can stand firm because there's one who's coming at you who wants to knock you over. And some of the same language that Paul uses where he says resist the devil is exactly what James said then. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, these two guys are trying to get us to the same point of understanding. We've got to choose who we're going to follow. And if you choose to follow Jesus, what you're also choosing is to be in this battle. But let's be honest, there's a battle whether you choose it or not. You didn't get that choice. The question is, are you going to choose to engage in it? Are you going to choose to use the tools and the weapons that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6? But see, when you do so, see, now there's the opportunity for more. Now there's the opportunity to live with peace and protection. You see, I think there's, there's a lot of questions we have to answer in life one of the questions is why? I mean, I don't know if you've ever had someone say to you, "What? why do you believe in Jesus if you do? And see, I think a lot of times we the onus is put on those who follow Jesus. But if you ever ask someone back, why don't you? I mean, did you have a conversation somewhere where you just sat around the dinner table and said, you know what, I'm going to believe in nothing. I'm just one, you know what, after we die, eh, Nothing. I'm just going to believe that. And then when you're on someone's deathbed or maybe your own, and then the question becomes, how's that working out for you? We see, again, the world comes at us and says, oh, you all got a crutch. And you all don't think. You don't open your mind. You just believe what's in this book. And you're right, I do believe what's in this book. This book has over 5,000 manuscripts that date back long before you and I. There are more copies of this than there are any other book that exists. Time and history. But you know what? Also what holds it up is also those who have experienced Jesus. So you don't die for a lie. Ever thought about that? all the people who have been martyred throughout history who are willing to give up their life, if something's not true, you think you're going to die for it? You would sign up for that? People who are burned at the stake, people who are hung upside down on crosses, that they would die for these kind of things? But See, each and and every one of us have to answer the question of why. Why do I believe this? Why don't I believe this? That's a wrestle you've got to have, and you want it's okay to have that wrestle. Because until you do, you're going to be struggling for peace. See, to realize, as you look around at the world, I don't think it's hard for anyone to say, we're broken people. Just spend some time watching the news. You can see our brokenness. And that's not new. That's history. But to realize there is one who made you and I. And the desire, not that we would live in brokenness, but we would live in restoration and health, and most of all, in relationship with Jesus. And see, when you come to know Jesus, and and I want to be very clear, it doesn't mean that everything gets solved. We don't want these rose-colored glasses. Jesus himself said, in the world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. So anything you encounter is not bigger than me. And see, the peace comes not in the fact that all of our circumstances are fixed. The peace comes from the one who knows our circumstances and is going to walk us through it. That's where the peace comes. Because often what we really want is we don't want Jesus. We just want somebody who will fix everything. That's more of an honest statement, I think. And so to realize this, Paul digs in further into Ephesians and says, you need to put these things on. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, there's nothing for you to put on. At best, you're going to try and do it by your own power. But the truth is, it's going to fail. And so as Paul continues on in Ephesians, the first thing he says in verse 15, is we've already talked about some of the other tools, he moves on to the shoes of peace. And he says in verse 15, For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. So remember, Paul, he's in prison. He's seeing these Roman soldiers. And no doubt he's looking at their feet. They've got things on their feet. Now, I know some people who love going barefoot. I'm not one of those people. I wear sandals in my own house. And my attitude is, I've had kids, they make a lot of crumbs, and I don't want to walk in them. So, l- love all my kids, but I'm telling you, that's, that's how I approach. I do not like walking through things. Okay? But see, when you do things in life, you're going to need some shoes on. There are places you go, Riding rides are different things. They don't want you wearing sandals. They want good shoes on you. But see, that's part of the beginning. How do you stand firm unless your feet are not secure? Your ability to move? Because sometimes in battle, you got to go. Sometimes in battle, you got to stand strong. You need good feet. And so the New American Standard uses the word shod which is not something to say, but you need to shod your feet. And the idea is tying underneath. Again, Paul's repeating, put on, put your shoes on. But what's interesting about the Roman sandals is they had nails in the bottom. It might almost remind you of cleats called hobnails. And the idea here is that it allowed you to grip, especially if you were on a slope or you just needed to stand firm to make sure you're not going to slip, you're not going to move. We've got this ground and we're taking it. This is what was put on their feet. But notice at the end of verse 15, why does he say, put the shoes on? So you are fully prepared. Sometimes you need to flee. Especially when sin presents itself, that temptation is there. Run. The idea that, oh, I can handle this. I'm getting strong. Pride goes before a fall. Run you've got to be prepared. Your feet have to be ready. But see, understand, all this is a, is a metaphor, is an idea, a visual that Paul is giving. Because these aren't just regular kind of shoes you might think of that we wear. These are shoes of peace. Shoes of peace. And what he's talking about is the peace of the gospel. Think about it, If you could just take the gospel and just wrap that around your feet. Everywhere you go, You see, as James was writing and talking about the fact that you're an enemy of God if you choose the world, sin is what makes us an enemy of God. When we choose our way instead of God's, when we say, you know what? I'm going to be God today. In this situation, I'm going to do what I want. God's your word, what you've said, eh. I got a better idea. And see, the enemy's going to give that to you. Did God really say does it really mean that. That book was written so long ago. It doesn't apply today. And yet God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the one who wrote it. Let's see, this gospel, this is what Jesus died for. This good news that you and I could have peace with God, that we can be restored. And I love the way Paul described this in Romans 5. And I'm, I'm going to read this to you, but this is from the Amplified Version. If you've never read this, the Amplified just amplifies everything. Gives you the implied everything in there. So Romans 5.1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified, that is, acquitted of sin, declared blameless before God by faith, let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God and the joy of reconciliation with him through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed. This is what Jesus has done. So if you have come to the place where you say, I see my sin. I see that I'm broken. I see that I'm in need of help. And everything I've tried in this world doesn't satisfy. It might be temporary. It might make me feel a little better for a moment. But I come back to the same place of I need more. I need to be satisfied at the soul level. And what Jesus has done is he brings peace. So instead of our declaration of guilty, which we deserve, now we are called innocent. And see, Paul is saying, put this on. Let this be the feet that carry you. Let this be your feet. But see, it's one of the things that's dangerous is it's not just about a relationship with God. It's our relationship with each other as well. And that's what Paul, excuse me, James was talking about in James 4. Because he was saying, y'all aren't getting along. There's fights. There's quarrels. And so it's not just about being at peace with God. It's about being at peace with each other. See, how can we say we love God and we hate our brother whom God has made? That doesn't make any sense. But see, what happens is is we put on the gospel. We've got this on our feet. What the peace of the good news of Jesus does, it begins to steady our mind. It begins to steady our mind because we have peace. We realize that we've been made new. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, we're a new creation. God forgives us. God now sees us as last week we looked at the breastplate of righteousness, sees us now with Jesus' righteousness. This is what we've got. And see, I love also how Paul said in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so the peace I have within is because of, peace with God, the Father through Jesus Christ. It's not about the circumstances around me. The circumstances around me can be nuts. But what steadies me is the Father. And this is what Paul is saying. Put this on. But the idea is you put on the shoes of peace. It's not just about what's been given to you. It's also what you're supposed to do with it. You are not the end of God's love and his redemption and what he has done on the cross. You're not the end. The end of it all is God's glory. And so the cool thing is, is when you and I come to know Jesus, we become that conduit for God to move in somebody else's life. And the idea that you got shoes of peace on is get moving. Use those shoes. Engage in the fight because there are other people around you who don't know Jesus yet. And God's given you peace so you can share that peace with other people. And I love the way Isaiah says this out of the New King James Version. In Isaiah 52, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Amen. This is what you and I get to bring because Satan declares war, We declare peace. Instead of fighting with our brothers and sisters, fighting with those who are God's children on this planet, we get to walk forward in peace and say, here's a better way. But see, you've got to put the shoes on. You've got to have the gospel. You've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus to be able to be that person of peace. And see, as I was kind of preparing for this, it made me think of all the different shoes I've worn throughout my life. I remember, does anybody remember Doc Martens? Anybody remember those? I don't know if those still around, are they? Anyway, I remember when they got real popular. Birkenstocks, see, I think everything kind of comes back. Um, I like Crocs. My family makes fun of me about those, but I like Crocs. They're comfortable, okay? But one of the things I can remember in sports is there was always cleats. Every sport I played. So as as a kid, you know, played football. You had a different kind of cleats. I wore high tops then. Rules had to make sure you weren't wearing the metal ones, because you could hurt somebody with metal cleats. But I remember when I got to baseball, I had those cleats on. I loved playing baseball. Played catcher. That was my favorite position. To me, there's always action, always something going on. And I remember one time we had had a play at the plate. Ball got past me and I picked it up and I'm, I'm running at the plate because pitcher came in, which is what they're supposed to do, okay? But the guy was coming down third baseline and I was on that side and I just felt like I can get to him. So instead of throwing it to the pitcher who was further down, I was like, I just started running. And as he's going in, he's got his cleats on too, he's running. I just dove at him. But part of what happened is he had his shoes on, but he was missing something else because as he was going in, he started to slide. And so what would have been a tag here when he was standing up ended up being a tag here. And so I dove and I nailed him in the head. And so when I hit him, his cleats stuck and his body kind of twisted around. And it did not feel too good to him. The worst thing was is the ump called him safe after all that. I was like, and I was mad. That was apparent for the other team. I'm telling you, you you don't see any bitterness in me. But mm, I still remember that to this day. But see, one of the things is he had the shoes on. And that's the beginning of peace. But you know what? He wasn't protected for what was coming at him. And in that case, that was me. But see, Paul is talking about the shoes of peace. You've got to have your feet right, but there's more. You need some protection. Because you understand, when we've got the shoes on, there's a lot left that can be attacked. And so as we talked about previously, you've got the belt of truth. You've got the breastplate of righteousness. You've got the shoes of peace. But there's something even bigger you need to have in front of you. And that's the next thing Paul talks about is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Because we need peace and we need protection. In verse 16, Paul says, in addition to all these, so we're still adding more. We're gearing you up. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And see, at the beginning, I like the fact he says, hold it up. you got to use it. Imagine your shield is sitting there. That's a great shield. I like that shield. It does no good if you don't hold it up. Now, I want you to think about it. This is probably something that's four by two. I mean, imagine just half of a sheet of plywood. Very likely it was, it was rounded, made of wood, but it's got rough leather all over it. And so this is something that really, I mean, a guy could crouch and get behind, okay, protect himself. But it's not just any shield. This is a shield of faith. Faith. But see, it's not just the faith of coming to know Jesus. There's a a point where you put your faith and trust and say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are God in the flesh. I believe you died on the cross, that you rose again for my sins. I believe all of that. But I also believe you give the strength and the power and everything I need for life. So it's not just the faith to save, it's the faith to live. And so we need to make sure that we live by this faith. See, I love this quote by Francis Chan because something we've got to understand about faith. And I like what Francis Chan says. He says, there is something wrong if your Christian life makes sense to a non-Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus and your life makes sense to someone who doesn't follow Jesus, there's something wrong. Because what the marker should be is faith. Faith. And what are you doing right now that requires faith? What are you doing right now? And see, I think we need to ask that question because are we living by faith? Because if we're not, we're just setting the shield down. We've forgotten what Hebrews eleven six 6 says, which without faith, it is impossible to please God. We've got to put up that shield of faith, but that faith is something that needs to keep growing and keep maturing. But we need this faith because the enemy is coming at us. He's coming at us. And this is what Paul was talking about. What did he say? He's coming at at us with fiery arrows. Some of your translations may have said darts. A dart doesn't sound quite as intimidating, does it? Like a dart, like, oh, wow. You know, it would hurt. But fiery arrows. And see, the idea, especially in, in war, we're talking about flammable tools that can be hurled at you. The idea is it's going to set fire. Often in military, they would dip it in a type of pitch, a tar, light it on fire and shoot it. So the idea is that when it hits you, not only hits you, then it burns. And see, think of all the arrows that Satan is hurling at you about truth, that you've got to have that belt of truth on. Did God really say that? This book is so old. This book is outdated. We have come so far. All the things we have learned today and we know. How would you follow a book like that? Or that particular passage, you know what? That doesn't apply today. He's coming out truth. He's coming out the truth of who you are. Oh, yeah, remember what you did yesterday? Remember what you did six years ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago? Remember all that? See, he's coming at you And you got to stand with truth. And part of that is knowing who you are. And the righteousness of Jesus was like, well, he's going to remind you how worthless you are. All the things you've done, all the places you've struggled, the worries and the fears. This is all the the arrows, the darts. He's going to be hurling at you. Lies. Lies because he's the father of lies. Hateful thoughts, doubts, things about other people. See, you think about these arrows coming at you all because he wants to get things inflamed within you. And all the things that the enemy wants to burn within you lust, hate, revenge, bitterness all these things he's just hoping are gonna be like a, a match to kindling that just whoo, light within you. You remember what that person said to you? You remember how they treated you? And he's just shooting arrow after arrow. But see, we've gotta put that shield up. Because see, often what they would do, the soldier, is they would wet, they would soak. Their shield. So when those flammable materials hit that fire, it wouldn't burn. Because the idea is we've got to quench these darts. Think about every time when Jesus was tempted in Matthew 4, what did he respond with? The word of God. What is our response? The word of God. But if you don't know the word, you got no response. We've got to make sure. That we're ready that we pick up the shield of faith. But the beautiful thing about the shield is we don't battle alone. Thank God. We don't battle alone. You got another soldier right next to you with their shield. And see, the beautiful thing is that we put these shields together, form a shield wall. And see, we got shields that are coming around us. We got shields over our head because we know the enemy's coming every which way. And so they put these shields together and we keep going. And I think this is really a what the writer of Ecclesiastes was talking about, because in Ecclesiastes 4, it says, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken the church this family the whole point was we were intended to be together to hold up our shields to get that faith going and the greatest lie satan has said is you can follow jesus you don't need the church that's a lie well my church is out in nature no that's called nature nature Yes, that's God's beauty. That's God's creation. The church is not a place. The churches are people. That's why Jesus said, My bride, you need other people. And see, we take these lies and everything that Satan has, and yes, I know, without a doubt, many have been hurt in church. Many have been hurt in this family, specifically and generally across the world. Story after story, you can find where somebody was hurt. But see... Part of what I think we need to remember, Jesus had Judas. And if you think you're going to get by without somebody hurting you, and the Son of God doesn't get by without it, what do you think is going to happen to you? But notice, Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus was focused on the Father. Jesus was focused on what the Word said, and He kept going. See, the beautiful thing, Jesus' response was even... As Peter pulled out the sword and chopped off the guy's ear when they took him in the garden. Do you not think I could call angels down and my father would rescue? But willingly he took that on. See, and this is where the peace comes from. And I don't want to minimize being hurt because being hurt stinks. But see, the healthy thing of hurt is not that we run. is we get help. We get help because when we run, what we're running from is what God intended to be a place of love and hope and peace and joy. Because we fight together. And that's exactly what the enemy wants is is you get hurt and then you run. And he's like, now I got you alone. That's exactly where I want you to be. We need each other. We don't need a building. We don't necessarily need a place. We need each other. And see, when we come together around the word of God, that is part of what protects us. It protects us. But see, in all these things, we can talk about peace and protection. We can talk about truth and righteousness. We can talk about all of these weapons. But if you don't put them into use, they're worthless. They're good ideas. Nice things to talk about. And see, if we don't use them, one of the things I think it'll lead to is, well, it'll lead possibly to arrogance. We'll think we have it figured out think, you know, I got this. See, because one of the most dangerous places can be when life is going good. Because when life goes well, then we think, oh, well, look at what I did. Instead of maybe realizing what God has done in your life. But arrogance will lead to destruction. And see, as you look throughout history, you can see examples of that. And I, I found one recently that I thought this and just kind of blowed me over. But in the Civil War, obviously you've got the, the North and the South fighting each other. And the idea of people fighting each other in America is not too far-fetched for us. I think we see a lot of that. But there was a Union general. He was in Spotsylvania, Virginia, leading, obviously, the Union troops. And he was on the front lines looking at what was going on and observing. And he came to this place where the battle line was low. And the officers underneath him warned him, said, you you need to get down. And he's just standing full up and says, ah, those guys couldn't hit an elephant. And as soon as the words came out of his mouth, he took a bullet right below the left eye and dropped dead. Because he was arrogant. Because he thought he could do it on his own. And see, when we don't take up the weapons that God has given us, these tools. We don't put on the shoes. We don't hold up the shield. That's what we're doing. We're making ourselves vulnerable, standing up so the enemy can just take us down. I see, even though the battle's unseen, and it's a hard battle, God has given us peace and protection. See, these tools will not provide peace and protection unless you use them. And I pray that we do. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are good and faithful. Lord, the battle's on. It's raging. And Lord, it's a spiritual battle that comes at us in so many ways. And I just pray that you would help us to see it. I think there are moments in life where we can feel it. Lord, when that thought comes through our mind, something we want to say to somebody, something we want to do, how we want to respond, I pray that we would remember this is the battle. And there was a time in that battle where we were your enemy. But I pray that you help us remember that, Jesus, you bring peace. And it all begins with surrender. That we say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I realize you died on the cross for my sins. In the beginning of a of life where we say, Jesus, I'm following you. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone watching, anyone here today, that today would be that moment. Please help them to have the courage to say, Jesus, I need you. And I pray, Lord, for any, anyone who's already said that. But Lord, they're struggling with doubts. They're struggling with fear. They feel attacked from every side. Lord, that they would get together with others. They would hold up that shield of faith and remember the peace you bring. And Lord, I pray for those who maybe life is going well right now. I pray that they would remember that every good gift comes from you. And they would not be arrogant to think it's because of what they've done. And so Father, I just ask that you be with us, Lord. I thank you. You take us just as we are. Help us to respond right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.